Welcome to the Net Ministries podcast. Welcome to the Net Ministries podcast. I am Matt Reiswig. And I am Dan Driver. And both of us, we work for an organization called Net Ministries. If you're not familiar with Net Ministries, uh, we as an organization have realized, uh, as well as I'm sure everybody else, that a vast majority of Catholic youth are disconnecting from the church during their teenage years. So what we do to reawaken their faith we train teams of young adults, and we send them to minister in parishes and schools across the nation. But that's just our day job. So right now, we're doing a podcast. Dan, do you want to talk about why Why are we doing a podcast? Well, we're doing a podcast simply to challenge you, hopefully as the listener, to love Christ more and embrace the life of the church. Yeah, absolutely. So the idea is that each uh, month when we release a podcast, that we'll have some kind of interview with somebody who's doing some kind of work in evangelization. And today, it actually happens to be the program director here at NET, David Rinaldi. Yeah, Dave's done uh, hundreds of talks over the years. And in today's episode, he's going to offer the listeners just some insight into what it's like to be a national speaker. And one thing I, I really enjoy about Dave is that he's really practical, he's really engaging. And I feel like he says the things that not everybody is saying that I feel like he gives more candor insight into why he does what he does and and kind of the details of it. So I think for anybody who's listening, who's thinking about uh, maybe I should do more public speaking or maybe I should do more talks, I think today's episode should be really insightful. And I'm just super excited to hear his perspective on what it's like to be a Catholic speaker. All right, great. So let's jump right into it. Dave, tell me a little bit about how you became a speaker. It's weird. I never, when I was in high school, there weren't, I'd never been to anything where there was a speaker. No youth group, no conferences. I didn't even know it was a thing. Nor did I have any, like, intention of doing it. I never thought of myself as a speaker. I had one, one speech class in college. I think I got a B minus, and it was a required class. Uh, nothing. Uh, later on, I went into the Air Force, and there's a bunch of um, military briefings I had to do through my seven years in the Air Force. And whenever I was giving a briefing to these bigwigs, they would always look bored because they, they hear the same thing all the time. And so it's a very formal environment. And I remember one particular time I just tried to to get a reaction out of these guys that I was having to brief. And I, I just started making these sound effects and started getting like little rambunctious and the guys I was with that was helping me, they, they were helping me, um, they looked shocked, but the, I noticed I got the colonels to laugh. And so I went with that. And one of the guys pulled me aside afterward and said, Rinaldi, you have a gift in that. And that's That was the end of it. Uh, later on in the Air Force, I had to go to this place. It was called Squadron Officer School where they send young, I was a captain, uh, young officers. And I left there with uh, the best speaking award and it just blew my mind. Like, I had no idea that I was a speaker. I didn't consider myself a speaker. But I'm all of a sudden, I start, people are noticing in the military that I was a good speaker. 
At the same time, I was helping out with a youth group when I was not flying, and invitations started coming from other youth groups. Hey, I heard you did this. Can you come and speak to our youth group? And I, I thought, sure, but I never did it with the intention that I was a speaker. It was, I'm an evangelist. They want me to come and talk to their youth. Okay. Uh, and it wasn't until I got invited to speak at a youth rally in Fargo, North Dakota, that I thought, wow, this is because I was still in the Air Force. It w- speaking wasn't anything I was thinking of. It was just, okay, I got invited. I'll do it. That's when I started realizing, A, I like it, and B, I, I might be kind of gifted in this. You know, So it was all, it just kind of fell on me. I never planned on being a speaker, never tried to be a speaker. It just kind of happened. It wasn't until I came to NET and then, you know, working for a nonprofit and not making much money and yet desiring to get married and have a family, I thought, how am I going to make this work? That's when the speaking started like, well, hey, I have this other gift. I want to do it for the Lord. At the same time, if I could bring in money to feed my family so that I could stay in ministry, why not? And that's what made me start looking at making it, monetizing it or making it a career, uh, which sounds funny. I think people have this repulsive reaction when you talk about making money from doing ministry, but it's just a reality. St. Paul talks about it. You know, you have to give a laborer his wages. If if my kids are going to eat, I need to make money, and here's some of my gifts. Why don't I use them for the kingdom and provide for my family? So it was a matter of practicality when I decided I'm going to go into this more as a business. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it totally makes sense. Um I think for me, at least, like when I think about public speaking and how people get into it, um, it's really a mystery. Um, it sounds like for you, it kind of, you realize that you're good at it through making people laugh. Um, and that's like been, I mean, I'm pretty like rigid British. You're not rigid. You used to be rigid. <laughs> <laughs> like very, up, not uptight, but just very like, I want to be proper. I want to... Yeah. Uh, not show too much emotion. I mean, that's just ingrained into the British kind of personality. I think you're the complete opposite of that. <laughs> um, coming to net training, you're just explosively energetic all the time. It's amazing to watch. And um, I think as I've wanted to grow as a speaker, because I do a lot of speaking with net, um, I want to like figure out how to put humor into it. Um, but for you, it's it's a natural thing. Do you think it's something that you can like teach yourself as well, or um, was that part of it just just something where you just I'm just naturally humorous? You know, I think like most things, it's nature nurture. There's always a balance. I've always been goofy. I think being the youngest in my family, I needed to get attention, so I would do funny things. Uh, so I think I have a natural like tendency toward being goofy. But I've noticed that if I do this this way, it gets an audience to laugh more. So what you mentioned net working for net has helped me because you give dozens and dozens of talks that aren't part of your paid gigs where you're letting an audience down. So I a lot of the stuff that I do outside of net my speaking gigs, I'm fine tuning or learning what's effective or not effective with young people here at net. But yeah, I think a lot of these things are learnable. I mean, there's so many great videos, but. Again, I never I never did any of that training because I never thought of myself as a speaker. But now, even though I've done over a thousand 
presentations, now I'm going back and looking like, how can I learn from the guys that are really good? I mean, I'm I'm not putting myself down, but I am no famous international guru. It's just I'm providing for my family doing this, but there's a lot of guys out there that are really good. And you can watch YouTube videos. There's great um, websites you can learn. There's great books you can learn from. I think it's, there's a lot of learnable talents that if you want to get better in it. Cool. That's actually really helpful. Um, can you share with me that I, I know there's a story tied in there with what happened in the military and my perception of military is that it is also very just strict and you, there's not really room to goof around. And here you're telling me you're having like important military people laugh. <laughs> so the, the plane I flew was an air refueling plane. And so we refuel other airplanes. The key plane that we were tied to um, back in the early 90s was the B-52 bomber and the B-1 bomber. And the idea was, if there's ever a nuclear war, um, if the tensions were getting high, we would sit on alerts. We'd be stuck in this building for a week at a time, and they would have these drills where the, it's called a klaxon. It's a, a, a really annoying alarm. You run out to your plane, and there's certain steps you have to do to get the plane ready to go and launch immediately. So as part of that process, once a year, every crew, the crew has four people, You'd have to go in front of this panel and get certified, like that you're nuclear certified. If there's a nuclear war, you know what to do. So these colonels are sitting there, and they have to certify all these different crews. And so the crew gets up there, and they say, sir, step one is this, step two is that. When my crew got up, these guys just looked like they were half dead because, you know, they're, I don't know, 40s at the time, maybe 50-year-olds. And they've been listening to all these young officers say the same thing for hours. So instead of giving this formal military briefing, I went in there, and the first thing I did, and I wasn't even in charge, so my, the guy in charge of me, was he was expecting to introduce us and all that, but I just took the initiative, and I just started with this, ah, this loud just noise, which simulating the klaxon. And they said, sir, the alarm just went off. Here's what we're going to do. And I just was moving my arms. I'm Italian. I can't talk without my arms. <laughs> and... Um, and just started making fun of the whole situation, not making fun of it, but just being energized. Like if, if we're going to a nuclear war, people are going to be pretty intense. So instead of giving a boring briefing, uh, the other guys that I was with, they kind of caught on and we got lauded. I and mean, in fact, because of that one event, uh, the four of us were pulled aside afterward and they told us, we want you guys to plan a party for a whole unit which had nothing to do with being nuclear ready, but they saw us interacting. <laughs> so then I had to go in and brief the commander of the base on what this party is going to be like. And I am not a rapper, but back in the day, I thought I could rap. <laughs> so again, it's a military environment. The, the commander of the whole base wants to know what is this party going to be like? It was a party to say, to welcome all the new officers. And so we dressed in beach clothes <laughs> instead of our uniforms. And I, I just started rapping about this party we're going to have. And I was pretty proud of myself. Do it you was, remember the rap? No, but it was like, a, what was that TV show? Um, didn't, uh, He's uh, asking the Brit. What? The TV show was um, <laughs> Will Smith. Oh, Fresh Prince. Fresh Prince. It yeah. was that kind of style oh, rapping cool. like back yeah, in the day. Yeah, I know that. And I have no... Brits know that. Yeah, see, I knew you knew <laughs> that. But uh, I, at one point I said, hey, to one of the buddies I was with, hey, give me a beat. And he thought I said, give me a B. So he's like, B. <laughs> <laughs> And I said, give me a beat, fool. And this is in front of, again, all these guys looking pretty military. And we're there and just four white guys acting like we had rhythm. And it, it wasn't working. But it, it was fun. 
And from that, again, I got kind of notorious, like, oh, if you want to spice things up, <laughs> have that Ronaldo young guy do it. So it was, was kind of fun. That's cool. I love it. I also like, um, as you're talking, I mean, this is communicating. You, you're talking about, like, we need to talk about um, an alarm going off and this really serious situation. But then you're bringing humor, but then also I got the impression that you were kind of acting out like what an officer would be doing, like panicking, but but doing the procedure correctly. Right, right. So there's this sort of dramatic element. There's a sort of story. What role does that play today in your um, national speaking? Yeah, one thing, I don't try to do anything funny unless I can tie it into what the message is. And I've been to plenty of talks where someone gets up and they want to connect with the crowd, so they tell a joke or they do something funny, and then they say, okay, now let's get serious. And it's like... Why did you just waste my time with that? Yeah, I laughed, but it has nothing to do with the rest of it. So I try to, even though I try to be spontaneous, anything I do, whether it's trying to be funny or to try to get people's attention, I'm going to try to tie that in. Um, or I thought of it ahead of time and I try to make it look spontaneous, but really I know that A is going to lead to this kind of reaction, so I'm going to have that ready when I do B. So it's, it's a little more strategic than I hope it appears. I hope it looks like, oh, he's just fun or funny, but it has a purpose because later on I'll bring back, hey, at the beginning when this happened, here's actually, you know, the result of that or whatever, like drawing the conclusions. So I think uh, I try to use humor a lot, but it's, well, actually, let me change the subject. One of the reasons I, I like to use humor a lot in evangelistic talks is because I I do it as a safeguard for manipulating people's emotions. When I was younger, in my 20s, and I was doing some evangelistic speaking, I noticed if I used a certain tone or if I talked about things in a certain way, I could start making people cry. And, you know, because there's a... Obviously, if you're having an encounter with God, it affects the emotions, and that's not a bad thing. But I noticed that I could get people to an emotional place where I thought was a good place to be, but it was manipulative. Not on purpose. I wasn't trying to. So to safeguard against that, if I find like a certain talk is getting too heavy or if, if I'm drawing them in too deep, I'll throw in humor just to kind of break it. Not that, not that it's always bad to have an emotional time. That's, that could be good. I just don't want to be the guy that is leading people by the nose to a certain place where I think it's good for them. Does that make sense or not? Like I just it, it does. I mean, I, I, I think that I'm really intrigued by that sort of concept. Um, I get a, a, at least a tiny bit. I get the whole like not wanting to manufacture people's emotions. Right, you know, right. like I'm doing this because I know it's going to lead you to this place. But I mean, the heart of the gospel is, you know, somebody who died on the cross and rose for us because he loves us. Um, and that is almost emotional it, it evokes an emotional response when you first truly get it so i'm just intrigued like how does that like fit in with that and um because i think sometimes you do want people to really just give over of their whole being including their emotions to that truth yeah i think so again i'm not saying this is the only way or the right way or the best way but the way i look at it is i want people to make a sober assessment and if they're going to come to Christ or, you know, grow in their faith, 
I want it to because their intellect and will are engaged and not just the emotions. I love that. So does that make sense? Yeah, it does. That's so cool. Yeah, their heart might be tugged and God is moving perhaps, but I don't want them to say, oh, this is so great. Oh, this guy's so wonderful. And then they get home the next day and they're like, oh, oh, that was just an emotional experience. So I try to bring them to a place of, okay, levity so that it balances out the emotionalism so that they can make a sober assessment like yeah this this makes sense what this guy is saying yeah he might be funny or it might be emotional or whatever it is but it makes sense i want to choose this not because my emotions are telling me but because i i believe it's true to me that sounds like it's a it's a craft it's an artwork it requires creativity it requires strategy can you talk a little bit about that in terms of the creation of your talks yeah, well, what's funny is uh, I'm 50 years old now. So back when I first started realizing, okay, I can do the speaking thing, I was in my mid-20s. And then I was, I mean, this is my own interpretation and my own evaluation of myself. I was kind of cool. Uh, not in the high school popularity sense of cool, but I was 20-something years old. I flew airplanes. I was fit. But now, 50 years old, losing my hair, I'm not cool anymore, but that works to my advantage because when I go into a church and the setting is it's confirmation class, it's a mandatory event, and this 50-year-old guy gets up, I don't have to work nearly as hard to be funny as maybe a 20-year-old because they're just they're not expecting this old guy to say this or to do that. So I find it, it pretty easy to make young people laugh only in this. Like I would never be able to do stand-up because if you go to a stand-up show, you're expecting to laugh. So I think for me, if I have a gift of humor, it's because it's a surprise. You're not expecting it in the setting that I'm at. So, and I'm not putting myself down. I just I'm not a comedian type. I, I, it's just when you go to religion class, and that's most of my bread and butter is confirmation classes with parents. It's a parenting event, yeah. and so the parents don't want to be there. The teens don't want to be there. I get introduced, and often it's like right after they tell about all the requirements for confirmation because I kick off a lot of events. So they're like, you know, you got to do this, you got to do that. Oh, by the way, we have a speaker for you. So by that point, they're like, they're ready to be dragged out and laid in a morgue. You know, I mean, they're just like, oh, this is so boring. All I have to do is show a little excitement, and the next thing you know, they're like waking up. It, uh, so I don't really, I think I develop it organically. Like, oh, this made someone laugh. I'm going to say that again next time. And when I do so many, I do probably 60 to 80 talks a year. Um, and so it's easy for me to say, oh, that didn't work that well. So I'm not going to do that again. Yeah. So it's a, kind of a trial and error thing. For now, I, d- I just want to know like your opinion of um, public speaking as, well, a method of communicating like how well does it actually stick with people? Is it something that can change people's lives? Is this important? Is public speaking even something that's important? That's what I want to talk about. And then also like for the for the gospel, like um, is public speaking important in terms of communicating the gospel to the nations? So I think for different people, different things are going to be effective. Ironically, even though I do a lot of speaking, I'm not a big fan of going to a speaker because for me, it's like, oh, if you're going to tell me all this stuff over the course of an hour, I'd rather read it in a half hour in a book because I love books. I read every day. So I 
ironically, don't go listen to speakers that much. Um, is it effective, though? Yes. And I, I think it's we talk a lot in the church about how we've catechized kids without evangelizing them. And we're realizing that, I think, as a church in America, that, okay, we have to evangelize our kids and we have to disciple them. So small groups are popping up in a lot of parishes. You know, they they really want to get in there. I think what a, a speaker can bring, is it's kind of the tip of the spear. It's that initial awakening of faith. So you might have a 60-year-old mom who volunteers to be a, a small group leader, and she loves the faith, and she knows the faith, and she's willing to walk alongside a group of young ladies, that's fantastic. And I think that's where a lot of the ministry is going to happen. But what is going to wake up that person, that young person, to the faith? So I think that's where my talks or speakers in general, if if they can grab the attention of young people or old or any people, really, it's it's to get their attention and to make them want. I mean, they already have a want in them. you know, our hearts are restless till they rest in you. But how do they know that their hearts are going to rest in the Lord unless someone convinces them Jesus is the answer? So I, the way I see my role is I go in, start a little fire so that small group leaders can fan that fire into flame. And so that's I, that's the effect that I see is just sparking the flame. A lot of the parishes, they're doing their best. They're they have a good program, but youth ministers switch so often and volunteers are lacking and they have so many requirements to do. When I go into a parish, A, it's giving the the volunteers a night off a lot of times because they, instead of small groups or having a speaker, uh, number two, it, it helps give them material they could use for the next month. Hey, remember we had that speaker that you guys liked so much? Remember when he said this? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. So it kind of gives them things to build off of for the next several weeks. That's great. And the, the, the why behind, you know, public speaking is very important. I need, I needed to hear that. I, I do a little bit of public speaking nowhere near what you do. Um, but sometimes it's easy for me to look into the crowd and see, oh, that youth is on their phone or, you know, they're not interested. So it's easy to lose sight of this is a, an effective way and that our role isn't, um, we shouldn't, necessarily expect everybody in that moment to become the next Mother Teresa because of something that we have said, Um, but rather that the Holy Spirit is working through our speaking, and um, hopefully it's going to ignite something that will be fanned into flame um, further down the road. So that's actually a really good point and something that I definitely need to take to heart. That's uh, This just made me think of something, Dan. Couple. Of, these are just pro tips. Um, one is any distraction that happens in a talk, I'll always, I'll never ignore it. I'll always use it. So whether it's you're in an old church and pipes are banging, I'll say, hey, you know that might be God knocking on your heart right now. Or last year when fidget spinners were a new thing, a big thing, I saw a kid with one, and it was, and I saw the teacher come over and try to keep him quiet because it was being disrespectful. I had never seen one of these, so I just, in the middle of the talk, like, what is that thing? It's a fidget spinner. What, what does it do? Come on up here. Show us. So now this kid who was bored, now he's my buddy because I invited him up. I'm like, that is the coolest thing. Can I try it? And I'm thinking in my head the whole time, okay, how am I going to incorporate this into the talk? Um, because otherwise I'm just wasting everyone's time. So I'm, 
while I'm interacting with him, pulling it. Now he's he's the hero. He's like the one kid that didn't want to be there. Now he's up front showing people what a fidget spinner is because it was new. He sat down. He didn't pull it out again. And I was I had a way of pulling, okay, a fidget spinner into the talk. So anytime there is like if kids are unruly, I'm going to say, hey, man, what's your name? Never do I discipline them or say, hey, can you keep it down, please? Because then nothing good comes from that. Because even if they're quiet, they're resenting you. Or if they don't, now you just lost credibility if they're not quiet because they just disrespected you. For me, it's like, oh, if I can see these group of young people, they're the, they're the issue in this class. They're going to be my best buddies that night. I'm going to use them for examples. I'm going to talk to them. I'm going to get them up front or whatever the case is. So uh, just a little pro tip there for you, Dan. Oh, no, I love it. I love – but it, I think there's also a skill there. Like you're able to see um, the, the grander question, the, the bigger thing behind it. There's a why. There is the fact that these young people can encounter Jesus, and you're not put off by their seeming resistance. How do you, how do you maintain that focus? You know, I don't know how I would have done it or how I did do it 20 years ago. But now, and this might sound prideful, I hope it doesn't, but so I know because I've been doing it for 20 years and people invite me back to the same parish 10 years in a row or invite me back multiple times in a year, I know I'm gifted in it. So I know I can do this. So if some kids are acting in a certain way or some of the audience I don't think of it like, oh, no, I'm not doing a good job. It's like, okay, this is just a, another, these kids are having a bad day. Or like, I don't look at myself and say, oh, no, I'm not doing a good job. And I don't know, I wouldn't have been able to do that 20 years ago, but now I know, like, I know how to do this. So if they're not responding well, it's not me. Maybe it's some sort of spiritual warfare. Maybe they're just tired. Maybe a hundred other things. But it doesn't shake me. Sometimes I'll go home and say, oh, honey, to my wife, you know, that was a rough group. But that's rare, maybe once or twice a year. Because most of the time, I love them, especially if they're a ruckus. Um, part of the reason, I think, is because I've met a number of priests that have told me, oh, yeah, I was that kid back in high school that did X, Y, and Z. So if I see some kids, men or women, young men or women that are, are being disruptive or rude, I think that guy might be a bishop someday. And maybe this is the first time the Holy Spirit's going to get into his heart. Uh, not into his heart, because if he's baptized, the Holy Spirit's there. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I look at it as a challenge. Like, okay, I don't know what God has. I'm just playing one role in this person's life for one hour. Yeah. So, How do you maintain that, though? That's the thing. Like, you're telling me that you're able to see that this, the Lord is going to potentially work in a powerful way that I can't even imagine. Now, that is a grace, obviously. That's a grace that God is giving you to have at the forefront of your mind this person's potential salvation and sanctification. How do you maintain that for somebody who's on the road a lot or a budding um, speaker who has had a couple of rough goes? One is prayer. Um, my original goal, which I don't stick to, unfortunately, was, okay, if I'm going to give, for every talk I give, every talk I give is about an hour. I'm going to spend an hour in adoration for that talk. I don't do that because now it's speaking so much and that pulls me away from my family. So now I try to go, okay, I'll put in an hour of adoration for this week. Or, you know, I'll, I'll at least 
at a minimum, in the parking lot before I go into the church or the school or whatever, I'll be like, Lord, this is your time. This is your talk. So I think it's almost like tithing with money. It's like once you realize this money's not mine, you're a lot freer to give it away. Yeah. It's the same with the talk. It's like, okay, God, it's my voice or my voice is a gift from you. My time is a gift from you. It's all a gift from you. So I have nothing to worry about. I'm just going to go in there and do my best and whatever happens, happens. And it, it frees you. Um, which just reminds me, can I say one more thing? Yeah, unrelated? please. Yeah. So I used to, you know, we, I used to give it, well, I still do a talk uniformly with God's will to all the net team members. Uh, and I've given that talk now probably 20 times, but about five years ago, it really hit me. Um, I was, I had laryngitis and it was, I had a talk scheduled and I was getting so stressed because if I don't give this talk, I'm not going to get that money. And it's the parish's first time having me. I'm going to look like a schlep, you know, like we contracted this guy and he didn't come. And then my reputation is going to get hurt and the whole world's going to know I'm not reliable and my whole career is going to be over. And my wife, Linda, actually had to call the parish and say, I can't come because I couldn't talk at all. Over the next couple months, the Lord really worked on that. I mean, it's like, wait a minute. I knew God, this is God talking to me. You know, like, I know you have a talk. I know you have to provide for your family. I know you have laryngitis. So if all those things are true, I'll take care of your family. I'll take care of that parish. So now it gives me this freedom. Whether it's a snowstorm and I have to cancel a talk uh, or I get sick and I have to cancel, I'm not going to stress about it, and I haven't. And fortunately, over 20 years, I probably canceled three or four talks only. Like By the grace of God, I, I haven't gotten sick that many times or whatever, but now it's like, it really, it's all his. So I, I'm just going to do what I can. I'm not going to worry about it. So we had a pretty interesting discussion on Facebook um, just a few days ago. I put up a poll about this talk and yeah. um, it kind of went to a place of like, well, we shouldn't really, I don't, I, I don't actually know where it went, but you, you got pretty heavily involved in the conversation um, talking about the te- maybe the tension between uh, completely just relying on the movement of the spirit and not really doing anything else in terms of planning or anything versus like, here are some solid tips that you can do. And, and then the battle of like having an ego and being ego driven in public speaking versus just, no, this is a calling from God and I'm going to completely leave my ego and wants behind. Can you talk into that? Can we have a discussion about yeah, that? Yeah. Yeah. So again, I fell into speaking. So I would say it was probably Holy Spirit driven because I didn't have any aspirations of doing that. But at the same time, I'm a firm believer. Look, if I have a desire to do something that's holy, that desire itself may be part of the calling, maybe a gift from God. And I, I think I put on Facebook that public speaking is the number one fear of a lot of Americans, more than death. Like people are more afraid to get up in front of a group than they are to die. So if someone really enjoys doing that, that might be a little hint, like maybe this is a gift from the Lord. Um, so I, I'm more practical. Like, okay, how to discern God's will? Do you enjoy it? Are you good at it? And are you good at it? Not because your mom says you're good, um, but do you get invited to go to do places? Do people respond well when you do it? Or are you trying to fabricate? Like, I'm not into fabricating. Like, oh, I'll get my cousin Bob to write a, 
a promotional blurb for me. I mean, that stuff is fake and you're going to fall on your face and you should. But if it's legitimate, I think you can pursue that as a career. I don't know why speaking is something that people say, oh, you shouldn't pursue it. Why not pursue it? Like, if that's what you want to do, there's enough millennials and young people just sitting around playing video games. I'm going to encourage someone, if you have a desire to do something ministry-wise to share the gospel, then why not try it? And if you fall, you fall. Whether someone's being called, the answer is yes. Like, we all have a gospel mandate. Go proclaim the gospel. Now, it doesn't mean everyone's going to respond by being a speaker, but if that's your desire, why not try it out? Um, so, I, I mean, I wouldn't recommend trying to put this national website together and sending out brochures all over the country promoting yourself as this national speaker that you're not. So that's just dumb. But start small, volunteer, give talks at your own church. Uh, if someone invites you or there's an opportunity to do it somewhere else, do it somewhere else and slowly grow. I, I look back this morning knowing I was going to do this with you. I look back at my schedule over the last 20 years. Um, I keep track of all the talks for tax purposes. But in 2001, I think I gave five talks for the year because I wasn't really trying to do anything. And it, it was neat looking at over the years how it grew somewhat exponentially. You know, like as word gets around, people invited me back. So here I am. <laughs> so um, can you talk a little bit about um, the maybe the dangers of just ego playing into somebody's desire to be a uh, speaker? Yeah, so let me, I know you promoted this as a, being a national speaker, and I don't even know what people's perceptions are of what it means to be a national speaker. Mm -hmm. um, by definition, someone that travels around the nation, which I do. Uh, but I don't do the National Youth Conference Circuit. I've never been a fan of big conferences for myself as a speaker, not for young. I think young people, I love it. I mean, Steubenville has great youth conferences. Half of our netters probably come from having been at a Steubenville conference. So I'm not knocking the conference, but me as a speaker, when you're doing a big conference, there's bright lights in your face. You pretend that you can see the crowd, but you can only see a few rows up front because it's, it's all dark in the back. You're on this big stage at least 10, 20 yards away from them. So... I'm not a conference speaker. Uh, yes, I'll accept a few gigs to do diocesan conferences, but those are much smaller than a, a big youth conference. So I'm national in the sense that I'll do some traveling. I've been on both coasts up in Canada, so I guess that's international. Ooh. Um, I did some stuff at World Youth Day in Rome back in 2000. But my bread and butter is right here in the Twin Cities. And that's something probably good. The whole, I know one of the questions you were going to ask me was about um, family balance. Yes. So I want my kids to grow up knowing their dad and seeing their dad almost every day. So yes, I accept some speaking uh, gigs, if you want to call them that, that are outside of Minnesota but they're very few and far between. I don't promote myself outside of Minnesota because I don't want to travel. I mean, I, I do want to travel. I love traveling, but I don't want to leave my family. So I do maybe 60 to 80 talks a year in Minnesota or western Wisconsin 
maybe two or three speaking gigs outside of it. And that's when I get the request. I'll go home and say to my wife, Linda, do you think we should, I should do this one or not? How does it fit into family life? So for me, ego isn't really an issue because, and I think I made a joke on Facebook too about this. I've done over the years, I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of talks right here in the Twin Cities. If you were to go to every parish and show my face, a picture of me to all the youth there, I don't know if any of them know my name. So there are some national conference speakers that are really trendy now. Every few years it changes. I've been doing this for 20 years, and names that were famous back then no one knows of today. Names today won't be known in 10 years. But there's some, I mean, everyone that's listening to this could probably name the top five Catholic speakers. I'm not one of them. And that's fantastic. I love it that way, that I'm unknown in the Catholic-speaking world outside of Minnesota because I just carved a little niche. I want to be able to share the gospel, go home to dinner every night, provide for my family. The young people, they'll remember me as the guy that broke this or did that because I, I like to smash things as an attention getter. Um, but I'm just that guy that came and spoke. So there's no fame in any of the work that I do. So I don't know if I can really give tips. I mean, there are some people, I mean, I pray for some of the national speakers. Um, I mean, Father Mike Schmitz is a, probably the most famous speaker and he's a, he's a priest, but when you're on stage all the time and everyone in the Catholic world, not everyone, but you know what I mean, knows you, I think you're under a lot of pressure from the evil one. And there's some other big names out there um, that, I thank God for the work they're doing. I pray for them. I don't know. I never wanted to be them. And now I'm too old to even start being them. So I'm glad for that. Like, I just, that's not my world. So uh, how do you avoid being ego-driven? I think you got to talk to those guys. If that's what you're aspiring to, like, I want to be a Steubenville speaker, talk to Steubenville about that because that's just, that's not my world. Cool. No, that's still helpful. Thank you. Um I would love to have a little discussion um, now about like some hard practical, some logistics, what it takes to be a national speaker um, and um, everything around that. So I, yeah. I know you have some thoughts about that. So these are tips that when someone talks to me and we just start talking and I'll share, okay, here's a couple things. One is most people that want to speak or do start speaking, they hate talking about money because it just seems counterintuitive, like, oh, I'm a, I'm an evangelist. I hate talking about money. So if someone says, hey, how much do you charge? They're inclined to say, oh, well, whatever you want to give. If you do that, you're going to get 50 bucks. And if you're just doing it for fun, great. But if 50 bucks isn't going to feed the family. So I learned pretty early on I had to set a, a fee. Uh, and I set it relatively low when I first started. Um, 20 years ago, I charged 100 bucks for an hour talk. And over the years, I just did a little... I'm not an economics guy, so don't take any of this to the bank, but supply and demand. As I realized, well, I'm booking 80 talks in one year, which is during the school year, that's every Wednesday, every Sunday, and an occasional Saturday. I'm going to raise my prices, and if I lose some of the customers, well, that's okay financially because I'll make it up with the increase. So now I charge $500 for a one hour talk. Uh, and here in the Twin Cities, no one has ever balked at it. Uh, I make it a, a policy, an internal policy that I would never refuse to go to a place for financial reasons. 
So if a parish says, hey, we really want you, we can't afford it, I've gone and I'll do it for free if I have to, or I'll reduce it. Um, over 20 years, I might have had, like literally, 60 to 80 talks a year, 20 years, maybe three or four parishes said, we can't afford to pay you, or we can only give you 100 bucks. Well, I'm sure they're going to go anyway. So it's a deal I have with the Lord. You know, I'm not going to refuse, Lord, but I want to be able to provide for my family. I need to provide for my family. So you got to talk about money. I would say when you have to price yourself, it depends on your location. But so in the Twin Cities, Twin Cities, 500 bucks an hour seems to be a good price for me. I'm, I'm somewhat known here. Um, if you put yourself too low, then it's like, well, who is this person? They, they're only charging a hundred bucks. Like, are they any good? But if you're, I mean, there are some national guys. If you want to get one of the main national speakers here, they're going to charge three or four thousand dollars plus flights and account like accommodations. Now, yeah, I would put myself at par with them as far as speaking ability, but for a parish to pay three or four thousand. It's a once a year event, and they're going to call the 10 neighboring parishes, and they're going to make it a huge event. I don't want that. I want to be able to go into a parish where they can just have me in and speak to their 100 kids, 200 kids, and their parents. So, what I'll do is I'll tell the parish, look, it's a big event for your parish. You're paying 500 bucks for a speaker. Let's make it an event. So, instead of just the confirmation kids, make it a mandatory parent teen event. Uh, and I love that because a lot of the parents of this generation of young people aren't categorized. So that's a lot of what I do is I want to price myself cheap enough so that one parish can invite me in without straining their budget. And that way I can do more of these talks. It's not it's not one big event. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So I do that. Uh, as far as content, I used to say at the beginning – when they would say, what can you speak on? Oh, you let me know. I'll put a talk together for you. Uh, in reality, I don't ever use notes when I go and do a youth talk. So I want to have this thing so polished that it, it doesn't look like it's memorized because I don't memorize my talks. But I want to be able to talk so seamlessly that there's no notes involved and it's coming from my heart. In order for me to do that, I have to give a talk several times. Maybe other people can do it right off the cuff. I can't. So I don't recommend saying, oh, here are the 25 topics. I've had five topics for the last 20 years. And most of them are really the same talk with a different title and a different visual aid and geared a little bit. Because my my mission is basic evangelization. So... I'll switch it up a little bit for confirmation. I'll switch it up a little bit if they want it to be for this grade versus an older grade. But I just don't have the time to work on a talk very much. Now, I do have several other topics that I do for, like, I'll do catech catechesis training for catechists, or I'll go and two or three times a year go to the seminary and speak to seminarians. But a lot of times when I do that, I'm using net material. So I do do a lot of different random things, but 90% of my talks, I have my same five topics that they choose from, and it's the same talk that I've done 20 years ago. I'll change it. I'll change the examples. I'll change the kind of humor because the, the young people change over time, 
and I change over time. So it won't look the same, but it really is. It's the same content, and it's it's the kerygma. So how do you how do you maintain? I mean, you said that you change those things, but specific, specifically, how do you maintain relevancy? Um, if you're doing the same talk that over twenty years, like you're changing it, but what are you tapping into to say, oh, this is how I should change it in order to stay relevant? Yeah, you know that I wish I could answer because <laughs> it, it really, seriously, Dan, like I. And you and I have talked about different studies that are out there, and here's where the the state of youth are today versus 20 years ago, and how much they're on their electronic devices. And I have a couple friends that are really into keeping their finger on the pulse of the culture, and I'm not as good at that as I should be. But in the end, it's like, if what the Catholic Church teaches is true, that everyone has a longing in their heart, and that longing can only be filled by Jesus, then I don't have to come up with different things. Like, I I don't stay trendy. I just stay me. And it's like, how can I, okay, I don't know what this youth is going through today. I mean, yeah, I, maybe I read some studies, but I know what he needs or what she needs is Jesus. So I'm just going to share my heart with them and give them Jesus. And it works. So... Maybe it's an anomaly. I don't know. Like I, it stays relevant because the gospel's always relevant, you know. So I think part of it is, yeah. As I get older, I kind of get a buy because I'm an old dude now. And and someone when you're 18 years old or 15 years old, 50 is old. So they see this old dude coming in, and if I can just talk real to them about, I mean, I think what a young person goes through now is in a lot of ways drastically different there was no cyber bullying when i was a teenager there was no cyber anything when i was a teenager but the whole idea of where do i fit in this world uh am i lovable do I, what's the purpose of life all those questions those are eternal the same things that the church fathers struggled with they're going to be struggling with in two thousand years if the world's still here so i i don't i don't deal with trying to stay relevant does that make sense? It does. Do you think that there's value though to um, being trendy in a in the sense of um, like keeping up with pop culture and stuff and incorporating that into speaking? Yes, but I'm not that great at it. So I'll notice some speakers will they'll say a phrase that's really popular with young people, and the whole crowd will go crazy because oh, Father so and so said this, or he did the dab, or he, I you know I. I like that, and I have a desire. It's not that I don't want to stay up with the culture, but I, I don't make it a... I put more time into prayer and staying close to the Lord, and I, so I, I've never done the dab at a talk. I You know, those kind of things, I just don't know, but for some way I'm still being effective. That's probably lame. Does that sound lame? No, it doesn't sound lame. It sounds, it sounds good. I mean, what I'm, how I'm interpreting that is that you're just being authentically you. Like you're not like making compromises on how you live your life. Um, and you recognize the value of the gospel. Now, I, I hope I am not making compromises, but I like, I watch some TV and my TV choices are mostly driven um, upon um, what the culture um, sort of looks at. So so a big thing recently has been superheroes for me. I didn't know anything about them until a couple of years ago. And one of our alum, um, alumnus, uh, an alumnus, he 
um, just kept feeding me DVDs and said, okay, you need to watch them in this order and you'll get like the full picture of Marvel. And then um, after that, I started watching the Flash series. But I, I use that as a way to like understand the culture and um, draw comparisons of that like longing um, from these TV shows and stuff. Um, but I mean, that's my, uh, intent behind watching them is to kind of maintain, um, relevancy. I don't know. I don't know if that's the right word for it. Um, but I don't want to be inauthentic. Do you think, you think I'm being inauthentic with that? Are you judging no, me right now? No, no, I don't. But I, I'm trying to think like <laughs> my oldest son is 14 now. So in the next couple of years, that problem, that issue is solved because I'll have a, my audience grade level is my son's age so i'll know what's relevant but for these past 10 years when he you know i didn't have kids that age i was just kind of oblivious to whatever the culture is and i know that's so counter like it's not what you want someone to say about speakers because you should be relevant but i just i'm heavy on the gospel and the human the condition of the human heart uh but I do like I, I rely on other people like you and we're talking about netters and where the netters are at. You're the one that says, well, you know, here's the culture. I'm like, oh, good point. Good point. So other people in my life will speak into that for me. One thing, though, that is, as far as staying relevant, I love media. Uh, I have my Apple Watch and my iPhone and my iPad. I don't use any media in any of my presentations. Uh, with the exception of some adult stuff, I'll have some um, videos maybe maybe once in a while. And I do that for two reasons. One is I hate sitting there and wondering, oh, no, is this video going to play? Is the audio going to work? Is And I'm never, I've never been a fan of PowerPoint except back in the early 90s when it came out or when I first became aware of it. It was really cool. But now, again, if I go to a speaker and I see a PowerPoint presentation, instantly my phone is out and I'm just on Facebook because if you're going to put stuff on there that I can't even read, it's just going to bore me. I know we talk about young people today and they have short attention spans and so you got to keep them. You got to show them. You have to use video and you got to use. So I make it my personal mission. I'm going to get up there and I'm going to speak for an hour and hold their attention and by the grace of God, it works. I mean, whether I'm speaking to adults or sixth graders, seventh graders, eighth graders, I get up there with no videos, no electronic, no anything, and it's like I'm going to keep them engaged for an hour, and it works. So It's funny, though, because when people book me, they'll say, okay, I'm going to have you speak to my seventh graders. Um, you know, is 20 minutes good? And I'm thinking, well, you're going to pay for my rate up to an hour. I don't say that. But I want you to get the, I mean, excuse me, but I, can I have an hour? And I guarantee you, and it's not an ego thing. I just know from 20 years, I know sixth graders. I can interact with them for an hour and have them have their attention. And it's just, it's a skill that I developed. A carpenter that's going to try to come over and sell you his carpentry business, he's going to tell you, yes, I can build this house. So I'm, it might it sounds funny because when you're in ministry it sounds almost ego driven but it's it's not like I have a skill I can build your house here's what it's gonna look like I do the same with my talks I know bring me in I don't care how rambunctious your group of seventh graders are I can speak to them for an hour.
Yeah, no, that's exactly. I think that's an important point as well that our listeners and anyone who wants to be a speaker, like it's something that you have to develop. Like it's not just something you're not going to be a hundred percent like naturally gifted, instantly right, right. excellent at speaking, but it's something that you have to have patience for. So you have to be willing to work on it. And I'm sure that you know, we don't really have time to talk about it, but I'm sure you've had many times when it has gone wrong in, with sixth graders or seventh, seventh graders and you've had to work on like, okay, I can't speak to them like that. I need to hone that. And over time you get to a point where you're like, okay, I got this now. Yeah. And with that, when things don't go well, that's where the humor comes in. I'll just make a joke about it and try to turn it around. You know, So even if I feel like this isn't working, I'm going down in flames right now. I'm just going to try to turn it. Like, let's, let's laugh about this right now because it is funny. I, I'm actually thinking of a specific example. Um, somebody on Facebook and on the comments had said, oh, and can Dave just give some like practical tips, you know, just basic stuff, like how not to like walk off a stage. And I was reminded of just at this training when you had like the, the stage had a different level and you, you walked off it, but then you very quickly like turned that around, made it funny for everybody um, with a little bit of self-deprecating humor there. Um, but brought it back to what you were talking about. And I thought that that was really great because not many people like expect that they have to like suddenly save face without looking like they've just really made a fool of themselves. So that reminds <laughs> me of another time and I won't give the context because of time, but, um, I just, I was explaining how I would do things differently than Jesus if I were Jesus. And, um, I, it was just ridiculous, but I, I did this kick, like I was healing Bartimaeus, the blind man. And I would, you know, Jesus said, Bartimaeus, come here. What do you want me to do for you? But man, if I was Jesus, I would have been like, and I kicked like my leg out, like Shazam. And I pulled a muscle <laughs> and the young people that could see that, like something bad just happened. And I was in pain and I just started laughing. And I'm like, you guys, no wonder Jesus didn't do that. I just, I think I just pulled my muscle and it just shows your humanity. Like Things go wrong sometime and things go wrong. Like, so I love to share embarrassing stories about the time I stuck gum under my armpit because I forgot to put deodorant on one day when I was in 10th grade and how embarrassing that was. And everyone is like, Ugh! but at the same time, they're thinking, oh, I did something embarrassing, too. You know, so I think if you can just laugh at yourself, you're good. So we did. We, we spoke a bit about money. We spoke about um, your content. Um any other tips? Practical tips. When you uh, go out, especially since if you want to be a Christian speaker, especially so, Uncle Sam has to get what Uncle Sam deserves. So people are misinformed about this. There's this magic number of $600 that people think about. And there's this rule with the IRS that if a church or a school pays you more than $600, they have to give you the tax form. Sometimes people interpret that to mean, oh, if I charge less than 600, the church isn't going to give me a form. So that means I don't have to claim that on my taxes. And that's not true. And if you don't claim that money, you're really stealing from Caesar what belongs to Caesar. So the law is, and again, I'm not a tax accountant, but every dollar you make, you have to put on your taxes. Uh, and again, contact an accountant about that. But I mentioned that because you have to keep track of all that stuff. So every time you go to a church. Now, when I first started and I did three talks in a year, I didn't put that in my taxes because I didn't even 
see myself as a speaker. But now that I'm doing this and I'm doing 60 or 80, there's $30,000 a year coming in. I have to claim that on my taxes. And so every penny I get to counter that, as soon as you get in the car, you set your odometer or later on on Google Maps, every mile you drive, you claim that. So keep track of every dollar you spend, whether it's mileage, um, if your car, if you're driving your own car, when it comes to tax time, they're going to want to know, is it a, there's, I won't, we won't get into that, but any expenses with your car that can come off if your car is part of your expenses. If I, um, need my, if I need a laptop to work on my talks then that laptop is a talk expense. So you want to talk with a professional tax guy, but my thing is just keep all of your receipts. If I go out and visit a parish to talk to them about doing a talk, that mileage gets included. So just keep track of all of that. For promotion, I do mainly emails, uh, and I have a database of every parish in my diocese, and I have a column for every year. So I know, oh, in 2007, I went there, but oh, look, the youth minister changed. They don't even know who I am. So I do promote myself in the sense of there's a new person at this parish. I'm going to send him an email just saying, hey, here's who I am. Here's How what I early do. on did you start uh, doing that kind of self-promotion? Um, probably five years in when I realized, oh, this really has a potential. So it was word of mouth before then? Word of mouth. Okay. And then I got a website. It's cheesy. It's catholicspeaker.org. And it's a great website name. I, put, I do the website myself, and I'm not a website developer. Yeah. But here's the deal. My, you have to know your audience. My audience isn't young people. I'm not looking for young people to connect with me online. My audience for my website are probably 40 to 60-year-old ladies because most of the DREs are 40 to 60-year-old ladies. They just want the practicals. Who is this guy? Does he have the required background? And what are the topics? So my website's really simple. It's not flashy. It's never going to win an award, but it gets the information out there. So as far as promoting, I I just send out a few emails every year. I used to have postcards. I don't anymore because I'm relatively known in the Twin Cities. But but if people have questions and they're listening to this, if anyone is listening to this and they have questions, they can email me, david at catholicspeaker.org, david at catholicspeaker.org. I love talking to people about this. Uh, I never look at it as competition. So there's people in the Twin Cities that, oh, I want to do what you do. Um, I love to go out to lunch and do that. One final tip is most people that want to be a Catholic speaker also tend to be those that are Catholic youth ministers. That's a really hard thing to get going because here's the deal. If you're a big name, like, oh, we're bringing in uh, Jason Everett or Chris Stefanik or um, some other big name, those a parish is going to change their schedule to meet that national speaker's needs because he's only in town this day. Yeah. Well, for me, I'm not a big name like that. So a parish, they're going to want me on the night they have their religious ed. In the Twin Cities here, it's Wednesday nights and Sunday nights. Every parish in the Twin Cities has... Wednesday night or Sunday night. So as a speaker, those are my busy nights. Well, if you're a youth minister in the Twin Cities here, or I'm guessing most dioceses, your busy nights are the nights that other parishes want you to speak. And so that's where the conflict comes in is how do you get out of your own job 
to go do a speaker. It works for me because my regular job is not Wednesday and Sunday nights. Does that make sense what I'm getting at? It definitely makes sense, yeah, because so, there's like a conflict of interest yeah. there. So that's great. All these tips have been great and your story is really good and um, I'm really appreciative of the knowledge and wisdom that you've been able to share today. And I hope that our listeners, if there are any out there, can um, uh, I'll listen to it. <laughs> can extract some value from this. And yeah, shoot Dave a question or find us on our Net Ministries Facebook page or our Net at Net U at Net Ministries Twitter account, um, and we can uh, answer questions there as well. Thanks very much, Dave. You got it, brother. All right. Welcome back. Now for the second segment of our podcast, what we wanted to do was give some recommendations. So each month, Dan and I will bring something to the podcast to recommend to you, the listener. And it could be anything from a book to a website to a movie to a website. I know I already said that. It could be anything. Um, so, Dan, do you want to go first? Yeah, I wanted to recommend a book called Communicating for a Change. It's by Andy Stanley, and I wanted to recommend it specifically because we're talking about public speaking, and this book really sort of gives an outline for how you should approach public speaking from a content um, point of view and how to deliver public speaking. It's called Communicating for a Change, and it's by Andy Stanley, who happens to be a, a Protestant pastor, so he's used to uh, speaking in front of big crowds. Yeah, I, I didn't know he wrote that book, but anytime I've ever heard Andy Stanley give a talk, I mean, just on videos or whatever, it's pretty captivating the whole time, so guy must really know what he's doing. Yeah, he's awesome. He's really good. It's um, just in. Andy Stanley knows what he's doing. All right, and I'd like to recommend Alpha. Uh, yes, the Alpha program that's uh, international... <laughs> The Alpha Program, uh, the international organization, they have a branch uh, for Catholics. And recently I've gotten to know the director of Alpha Catholic. His name is Joshua Danis, and just a great guy. And anybody I've met that works with Alpha Catholic, I've been super impressed with. And I just think that their approach to evangelization in a parish setting it's just so simple and so beautiful and such a great way to draw people in. So I would recommend uh, to anyone listening, check out Alpha Catholic. That's really cool. I actually heard about them in England. They started in England, but um, when I came to the States, they weren't really anywhere. But in the past couple of years, they've, they've come about a lot. And in Christ the King in Ann Arbor they said that that is their evangelization program. What I'm noticing is I think it's really growing all over the U.S. That uh, Even I've heard of college campuses using Alpha. Um, and so, yeah, it seems seems like a beautiful ministry. Also, um, Bear Grylls has been their spokesperson, too. So I uh, can't go wrong with that, right? So anyways, highly recommend Bear Grylls. I mean, Alpha Catholic and Bear Grylls. Uh, anyways, thanks for listening to our podcast today. Uh, if you feel so kind and generous to leave us a review. A five-star review. You can email us, podcast at netusa.org, and look forward to more interviews coming up. You've been listening to the Net Ministries Podcast. 
Check out our show notes and more at netusa.org slash podcast. You can email us at podcast at netusa.org.